so praise the Lord. We are in the book of Acts, <coughs> as our friend uh, Steve said. So you can turn there. Will read most of our passage uh, from Acts chapter 20. And so um, we're going to kind of jump right in to, to start teaching about some of these things. Uh, but I will remind you that we have studied the book of uh, the chapter 20 of Acts before. Uh, this is now the third or so time that we're in this chapter. And as a matter of fact, it's going to be the second time we are in the final 20 verses of the chapter. And so our passage today is Acts chapter 17, excuse me, Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38, which is the exact thing we studied three weeks ago before Easter, before Palm Sunday. But as I mentioned at that time, I wanted to take it from a different perspective. And so Paul says a lot in this final 20 verses of Acts chapter 20. Now, let me remind you, remind you a little bit of the context. The Apostle Paul uh, is in uh, the final days of his third missionary journey. He had been traveling around uh, the, the area of the world at that particular point in time, uh, just north of the area of Syria, uh, today the area of Turkey and all that kind of stuff. He eventually ended up in the city, the large city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a city of about 300,000 people. That would be a large city today. It was a very, very large city then. He remained there. Most of his missionary work, he would go somewhere, stay there three weeks, a month, whatever it might be. Then he would move on to the next place. When he went to that city of Corinth, he stayed there for about a year and a half. He then moved on, did some other things. He eventually ends up in the city of Ephesus where he stays for three years. And it's in Ephesus he really begins to pour himself into that community a lot like he did in Corinth as a pastor might. Not just a guy that's kind of coming in and sharing some things and getting people going and, and encouraging them than that, but really poured into the lives of people. After this three-year period of time, it became clear to the Apostle Paul that the Lord was moving him on again. And he crossed over that body of water. He went from Asia, really, to Europe. He ministered a little bit there. He then kind of hopscotched, you may recall, in all of those little towns that we mentioned in one of our previous studies. And then he ends up in the last port city in that area, which is the city of Miletus. And from Miletus, he's going to set sail back to Judea, back to Syria, uh, where his home was, which he hasn't been at in the last seven years, um, but he's going to head back to that, that place, uh, Antioch, that you may recall that particular name. Now, I don't know if there's some kind of a delay. He gets to Miletus, and they're like, yeah, today's flight was canceled, you know, tomorrow. Like our missionaries that just came back from Florida, they canceled our flight, and they said, okay, well, when's the new one? They said Wednesday. No, it was Saturday. And you're like, Wednesday? Are you going to put me in a hotel? No, we don't do that. Okay, we're going to drive home. So we drove home um, from Florida. Well, Paul couldn't do that. So I don't know if there was some kind of delay in that regard or if there was a delay in a sense of Paul said, you know what, can you hold the ship? I need to talk with some people for a bit. And that's what he did. He stayed there in Miletus and he called the men from Ephesus, the elders in particular of Ephesus, to come to him. Now, the church situation in Ephesus was probably more like a bunch of home churches scattered about as opposed to one big building. And so there was a bunch of gathering of believers in different parts of that town. And the elders were, were likely the pastors of each of those little home settings that they had. And so Paul calls those men to him. He says, I want you to come down to Miletus. I need to meet with you. I need to share some things with you. One of the things he was going to share with them was this is going to be almost certainly the last time I will ever see your faces. 
They didn't know that when they came. But he says, I want you to come. Now, you might say, well, that's nice. Miletus was 35 miles away from Ephesus. And the way they would get there is by walking. Now, Paul saw them a week earlier. There's a part of me that would think my response might be, can't you just write me a letter? You want me to come down 35 miles to come see you? Paul, you were just here a week ago. Couldn't you have told me then? Paul, I got things to do. Paul, I'm busy. And yet these elders, not knowing that this was going to be the last time they saw Paul, these elders, they drop what they're doing and they go. Because one of the things that we learn about ministry is that ministry involves sacrifice. Ministry isn't just sort of rosy and wonderful and everything is great. Ministry involves sacrifice. Ministry involves service. And these elders were serving their body of believers by dropping what they were doing to go and meet with Paul to hear what it is he had to say to them to equip them to go back and serve the people in their congregations. And so the Apostle Paul, now look how verse 17 begins. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Now you may remember that the first study we did looked at the example of the Apostle Paul. Paul said, look at my life. And then go and live that same type of life with the people that you're serving. And so he says, you know how I lived among you. And that first study was about 10 different examples that we saw from the Apostle Paul. This second study is going to focus a little bit more on the things Paul said to them. Not so much about them looking at his example, but the teachings that he brought to them. It says there in verse 17, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. Now, if you haven't been around a church background long, you may not know what is meant by that term elder. Typically, we think of elder, we think of an older person. Uh, that is sometimes used that way in the Bible. But in this context, and in most of the places where we see it, what we are referring to is the governing authorities of a local body of believers. And the title that is used for those individuals is elder. And so we have terms in our Bibles like pastors. Well, here's another term, elders. Another term might be deacons. These are governing and serving authorities within a local body of believers. Paul calls those governing authorities, I want you to come down here to Miletus, I want you to meet with me. And we're going to talk more about elders and kind of their responsibilities in a minute. But again, that first point that I draw your attention to is that these guys drop what they're doing and they come. And again, why? Because ministry involves sacrifice. And so if you're involved in ministering in some way, and whether that is you're a teacher or you're a ministry leader, whether that you're a Sunday school teacher or you're a greeter and you're an usher, or you're someone that goes and visits shut-in, whatever capacity, whatever capacity that you're involved in ministering to other people, be sure to keep in mind that ministry brings with it challenges and difficulties that require sacrifice. Sometimes we look at ministry and think, oh, this is going to be awesome. They're going to love Jesus. I'm going to love Jesus. We're all going to hug and sing kumbaya together. It'll be great. Well, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes you've got to be there and you're tired. And you don't feel like getting up early in the morning to go to that particular thing and to do that particular thing. Ministry involves uh, challenges and difficulties that require sacrifice. In many ways, you might say that is the price of doing ministry. 
the privilege and the opportunity to do ministry. Second thing that we notice is ministry requires availability. It's been said one of the most important abilities a person can possess is availability. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> You're like, I you just call anything out. Alrighty? But one of the most important abilities a person can possess is availability. And so imagine if these guys, if their response was, well, Paul, I'm sorry. I got commitments all this next week. I, I won't be able to get there at least until May. Well, Paul's going to be long gone by May. And so these men had jobs, I suspect. They had families. I suspect they had hobbies or other things that kept them busy. They had a softball game next week that they were going to miss now. But when Paul called for them to come, notice verse 18, uh, they came. It says, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived. And he goes in and he talks about that example. So again, once more, one of the most important abilities in ministry is availability. And not just in ministry, but in our jobs, in our community we want to reach, in our parenting and our kids that we want to pour into. One of the most important things we can do is be available to do it. And so these elders, they come to Paul. They recognize that sacrifice will be required. Continuing in verse 18, where he talks about how, they, how he lived among them that whole time from the first day he set foot in Asia, verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. I'll remind you some things I pointed out. Notice Paul served others, but even in serving others, he served the Lord. First and foremost, primary, that's who he was serving, the Lord, even as he served other people. Next thing, we see his heart. He did it with humility. And so Paul was the, the apostle Paul. He was the pastor of this congregation. He was the chief figure and all these kinds of things. And Paul would say, you know, you're right, I am the chief. I'm the chief servant among the congregation. And so too are you, he says to these elders. He talks about ministering uh, with tears. And I'll remind you that Paul wasn't some distant leader who kind of came in, taught the people, went back to his study, but Paul invested his heart into the people, and they invested their heart back in Paul. And so when they, were, when they cried, Paul cried. When they rejoiced, Paul rejoiced. It goes on, verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God, and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, so many of those things we've already considered in our previous study, uh, and I tried to remind you quickly of some of those things. So we're not going to go kind of word by word through that particular verse uh, or verses, but look at verse 20 where he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And of course, Paul is referring to the word of God. Because the word of God, that's what the people needed to hear. So they didn't need to come and gather and sit with Paul, or in this case, march 35 miles to go and, and see Paul to hear Paul's tips on, you know, good living. They didn't need to hear from Paul the latest psychology trends that he had been reading and, you know, that are popular, that are out there. They didn't need to hear Paul's political musings what they needed was the word of God. And that's what Paul brought to them. And he says there that he didn't 
shrink uh, back from sharing these things with them. Remember that word, not literally, but the, con- the idea, it means he didn't chicken out. Paul didn't chicken out from telling them everything that they needed to hear. That's sometimes a hard thing for, for us to do, to tell people what they really need to hear, to do so in a, with an attitude of love and humility, but to share the truth. Paul says, I didn't shrink back from doing it. Paul said to these people in that city what needed to be said, but I think just as importantly, important, Paul didn't say what didn't need to be said. He taught them the word of God. And so whether he stood up on a platform, something like this, in front of a whole bunch of people, or he went house to house, as the verse says, when he had opportunity, he spoke into the lives, uh, to the lives of the people he was talking with the word of God. And that's his exhortation to these elders as well. That's what they're to be about communicating the truth of the word of God, not shrinking back. Remember, it's much like the, city, uh, the nation of Nepal. Very few Christians, relatively speaking, in the, na- in the city of Ephesus. The vast majority were pagan people that believed something completely different. And that puts some pressure on them and the message that they're going to share. But Paul says, I did not shrink back. He goes on in verse 21. He says, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that word Greeks there refers to the Greek-speaking people who were the Gentile people. And so that's a word we've seen more commonly used earlier in the book of Acts. And so he says, testifying both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Paul didn't change his message. For one people, that will be more appealing, and then have a different message for a different group of people that might fit more them. He preached the truth. He says, testifying to them of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I find that important. He testified to them of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's a very subtle point that is presented here. Paul, he declares in this statement that his calling wasn't to preach against sin, but rather to preach repentance toward God. And I think there's an important distinction between the two. The two. Repentance is changing, is the changing of the mind. Sometimes we say the changing of the heart. Either way, I think we're talking about the same thing. Repentance is the changing of the mind that leads to a change in direction. And so we begin to think about something differently And so we begin to act differently. And Paul, what a lot of times preachers will do is they'll preach against the actions. Paul preached against the thinking. And when people's minds were convinced, then their own actions changed, and Paul didn't have to say anything about it. There's a gazillion sins in the world. We've counted. There's a gazillion. They're all out there. I mean, if we tried to preach against every single sin, we're going to miss something. And Well, he never said I couldn't do that. And then we'll find ourselves doing that particular thing. But if we preach repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ, all those other things are going to take care of themselves. And Paul taught in such a way that called people to change their thinking about God and about sin. And so he doesn't focus his attention on preaching against the evils of society. Rather, he presents Jesus Christ. 
he glorifies Jesus Christ. That's a word that just means he lifts up Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said, I think talking about the cross, but he said, when the Son of Man is lifted up, all will be drawn unto himself. And so as a ministry here at Calvary in particular, and I think we're modeling the Apostle Paul, what we try to do is lift up Jesus Christ. We put Jesus Christ up front and center, and people are drawn to him. We don't want people drawn to us, because the reality is we're going to be dead and gone in a little while. We've got 30, 40, 50 years, some of us here, uh, some longer, some shorter. Sorry. <laughs> Alrighty? Just trying to keep it real. Alrighty? But Jesus is going to be around a lot longer. And so we want people to be drawn to him. There's nothing in us that there's no value in drawing people to us anyway. And so as we are drawn to Christ, as we embrace Christ, we naturally turn from sin. And what begins to happen in us quite naturally is why would I ever give up the sweetness of fellowship that I enjoy because I've been reconciled to Christ for that particular sin, or that particular sin. And so when I try and talk with people, and I try and encourage people in their walks with the Lord, what I try and encourage them to do is nurture your relationship with Jesus. Nurture your relationship with him. Because when you are enjoying the sweetness of fellowship with him, these things really aren't of interest to you any longer. And it's as we begin to drift away from our relationship with Christ that we begin to get distracted. We begin to look around and we begin to notice other things. And soon we find ourselves engaging in things that we never thought we would do three weeks ago, a month ago, five years ago, whatever it might be. So Paul, he emphasizes that. Paul said this in the book of Romans. He said, Do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing this, that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. It's the goodness of God that draws us to repent from sin. And so Paul's primary message here, did he talk about sin? Yeah, there's plenty of places where he talked about sin, he called sin out, but his primary message was to point people to Christ, and that's his exhortation for these elders here from Ephesus. He continues in verse 22. Excuse me. It says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only that I might finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul knew what lied ahead for him. But notice that did not persuade, uh, dissuade him. And so certainly Paul was a well-balanced individual. His, certainly Paul's life was precious to him. But not more precious to him than fulfilling the ministry which God had called him to. Comparatively speaking, that is what was precious to the Apostle Paul. Fulfilling the ministry that God had called him to. And so then, despite the risks that he knew he was taking, Paul continued moving forward according to God's leading. And so knowing that, he says in verse 25, Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Now this may be the reason why, having seen them just a week earlier, Paul now calls them uh, to this city of Miletus. 
because somewhere in that week long period of time God revealed laid it on Paul's heart you're not coming back here again you're not going to see these people again and Paul doesn't want to I think I'm wondering he doesn't want to just write that in a letter to them he wants to see these men face to face to be able to tell them that and so he says uh, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again he's he's their pastor he's been their pastor for three years pouring into their lives daily both in public and in private and so his heart is no doubt broken, but their heart's going to be broken. And he wants to minister to them in this particular way since he's departing from them forever. Now, again, you go back to that, hey, come on down and see me, Paul. It's 35 miles away. Can't you just write me a letter? I bet these people are glad they came this time. And now they're glad that they're there with the Apostle Paul. I notice here in verse 25, he says, uh, I know that none of you, notice, among whom I have uh, gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face. Notice that, among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom. Paul describes his ministry during his three years there in Ephesus. Now, okay, no big deal. But remember what it says of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. This is from the previous chapter, chapter 19. It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. You may remember I pointed out that miracles in and of themselves are extraordinary. That's why they're called miracles. In this case, these miracles are called extraordinary, extraordinary occurrences. And God was doing, as it says, extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. But when Paul thinks back to his ministry time in Ephesus, what are the stories that he tells? He doesn't talk about the person that was healed. He doesn't talk about the, you know, this miracle that happened or that miracle that were happened, that happened. But he talks about the opportunity he had to teach them and to proclaim the kingdom of God to them. That's what was important to the Apostle Paul. That's what he draws their attention to. That's what essentially he challenges them to do even as he himself did. And go back to your homes, go back to your communities where you've been raised up as a pastor or an elder of that congregation and proclaim to them the kingdom of God. That's what he sought to do during his time there because Paul was always focused on the transforming power of the word of God in people's lives, the steady intake of the word of God and the way that creates a healthy Christian. And that's what he's encouraging them to do. I think just the opposite would occur in many of, the, many of our ministry reports today. What's going out and on in the field? Oh, let me tell you. And the stories would come of the miracles. Paul here draws their attention to the transforming power of the word of God. He goes on in verse 26. He's just completed his ministry. And that ministry was a ministry that emphasized the teaching of the word. Notice what he says in verse 26. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for, again, he says, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul says, I am innocent of the blood of all. And why? Well, he tells us, because he didn't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God's word. The whole counsel. I know of no other way that we can do this as pastors, leaders, as a church. I know of no other way to be able to say, I am innocent of the blood of you all, then by teaching the entire Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. 
And that's one of the key patterns of our ministry here at Calvary Mercer and the Calvary Chapel movement. It's been known for that. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, teaching the whole counsel of God's word. Now, there are a lot of churches that do it differently. And they, they jump around and they have themes and all that kind of stuff. And they can do whatever they want. I have to answer for myself. When I go appear before God, I have to answer for my faithfulness to lead this congregation of believers. And my thinking is if we jump around in our study of the Bible and we pick and choose passages of Scripture and we springboard for them our messages, what we run the risk of doing is skipping large sections of Scripture. And likely it's going to be those areas of Scripture that are perhaps a little less pleasant for us to read or consider, or perhaps they're not as culturally well-received uh, in the day and in the age and in the location in which we live. And so we run a real risk of missing some things. Paul tells us in another place this. He said, all Scripture is God-breathed. Underline the word all. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. And so the responsibility of the leaders that God has gifted the church with, he tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that that's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. The responsibility of those leaders is to equip the saints, look, for the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, for the building up of the body of Christ. And the way to that is through the teaching of God's word. And the way we do that thoroughly and completely is through teaching the whole counsel of God's word. Does that make sense? This is what Paul did during his time in Ephesus. And it's because he did that that he was able to say, I am innocent of the blood of all of you. The, the idea being is this. Paul told people what they needed to know, and now what they did with that was on them. But Paul was innocent of their blood and any judgment that might come upon them. He goes on in verse 28. He says, therefore, I've added that because that's, the, con that's like the, the idea of it, therefore, Pay careful attention to yourselves. I'm not going to be with you any longer. Therefore, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, previously, Paul refer referred to these people. He called them to come to him. He's talking to them. Previously, he referred to them as elders. We might call that their title. Here, he tells us one of the key responsibility of those elders by using this word or, or making this statement here. He calls them overseers. You have been made an overseer. And so these elders, one of their key responsibilities is to serve as overseers. Overseers of, he uses the term, the flock that is in their care. Now before we go to that kind of look at that, notice what Paul says and the order of how he says it. In verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock that is in your care. First and foremost, pay careful attention to yourselves. And so, yes, they were to care for the flock that was in their charge. Yes, they were to make sure that those folks were well taught the whole counsel of God. 
And yes, they were to set an example for others to follow, even as Paul sought to set an example for others to look at. So there's a lot of responsibilities that are placed on these elders that was theirs because they were leaders of a local congregation. But that being said, what Paul says to them, first and foremost, that they need to be careful about doing is taking care of their own spiritual well-being. It almost sounds a little selfish here. Well, shouldn't I be thinking about others before I'm thinking of myself? Typically, yes. In this case, absolutely not. First and foremost, they need to take care spiritually themselves because effective spiritual leadership flows from a healthy spiritual life. The example that I think all of us have, you've been on an airplane, and one of the, the little mask thing the, the lady and the man holds, and they say to you, if this falls from you know, the, the thing, put it on yourself first, and then help your kids, and then help older people that might be with you that won't be able to do it. it sounds selfish, oh my gosh, my kid here, he has no oxygen. I'm not gonna put it on me first. Well, what's gonna happen is that kid's not gonna figure it out, and you're gonna faint and die, and you both die. Put it on yourself, he can hold his breath. We'll get it on him in a minute. Alrighty, and so we have to minister from the, effectively, we can only minister spiritually to other people. And I'm talking about everybody, not just like pastors, but Sunday school teachers, ministry leaders, home fellowship leaders, parents, trying to minister into the life of your kids, employers, and as trying to serve the people they work with, and employees trying to be the best employee that they can possibly be. If you want to be helpful to others, you must first be in a right place with God yourself. And too often, ministers get preoccupied with helping others in their relationship with God while losing sight of their own. And so they no longer take time alone with the Lord to meet with the Lord because they're preparing Bible studies or they're getting ready for a counseling appointment so that they can help somebody else with their problems. True ministry has to be the overflow of what is already taking place inside of us. And so... If you care about the spiritual well-being of someone in your care, the most important thing that you can do for them is to take care of your own spiritual well-being. And the Apostle Paul, he points that out in the order that he presents this. Pay careful attention to yourselves. And then he goes on, and the way this could be read and should be read, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and pay careful attention to all the flock that is in your care. And he uses the word flock. And in mind there, he has the idea of sheep with a shepherd. The elder or the overseer is to lead people in his care as a shepherd leads the sheep in his or hers. And what does a shepherd do? Well, the shepherd's responsibility is to care for the sheep. How do they care for the sheep? They feed them and make sure they're well fed. They keep them from wandering off somewhere. You see that little... Facebook video that's going around of the there's a little crevice in the rocks and the the sheep falls in it and this poor thing is struggling he can't get out of this crevice he's stuck there and the guy he gets him out and the little sheep goes running down and jumps back into the crevice and you're like oh my gosh you're killing me here and so they have to keep them from wandering off somewhere where they're going to get hurt they got to look out for the health. They got to check them out. How you doing? I don't know if they talk to the sheep that way. But, you know, they look into the sheep and they see this thing's got a cut here. And pretty soon this thing's going to have an infection. So they take care of it. 
when uh, predators come against the sheep. They defend the sheep. They put themselves between the predator and the sheep and make sure that nothing happens to the sheep. There's a wonderful little resource. Uh, it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. So, some of you might be familiar with Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, and he shall not want, and so on. Uh, that little booklet was written by a guy that's been a pastor for, for many, many years. I believe he's from South Africa. Um, but his profession uh, is he was a shepherd. And so he's a shepherd and he's a shepherd. He's, it's a perfect guy to write a book. And so I encourage you to look at it. It's, it's helpful and it really takes you through uh, what David is saying, who himself was a shepherd in that psalm. A shepherd looks at Psalm 23. But it's the job of an elder, it's the job of an overseer to care for the church of God. And that's a tremendously high calling. And Paul gives us a, a reason for it. Look what he says in verse 28 at the end, talking about the church of God. He says, which he obtained with his own blood. Of course, we're talking about Jesus and the cross. That's a high, uh, a high purchase price, isn't it? That God's own son would go to the cross, give his life to buy this church, to purchase this church, so to speak. And now you're in charge or you're overseeing that which he paid such a high price for. I have to imagine that any of us, if we were given a crystal plate to carry and to bring from one place to the other, we would carry that crystal plate much differently than if somebody handed us a container of Tupperware. And we had to bring that to the other place because of how precious the crystal plate is, how expensive it is. The church of God was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, and now he has entrusted you or these people to be over that. That's a high calling indeed. He goes on with this sheep and shepherd theme in verse 29. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And so another reason why Paul wanted these guys to gather here with him was that he might warn them. This is something he had been doing. They may not have even noticed that he was doing, but he was looking out for the fierce wolves that were going to come in and hurt the church there in Ephesus. Paul actually says, you're going to have problems from without, the fierce wolves, and then you're also going to have problems from within. From without, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, and then from within, he says in verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men. The first group he deals with are those from without. He doesn't say how he knows this. Perhaps he just many years of ministry. That's how I know it. Maybe God revealed it to him. One way or the other, he is aware that it's going to happen. And so since he is, he emphasizes that these leaders not only need to feed the people and not only need to lead the people, but they need to protect the people. And one of the ways that I know that we seek to do that here is to make sure our congregation is a well-taught congregation. And so that when we hear a lie, we may not be able to write some paper on why that is not true, but our ears sort of like perk up. And we're like, I don't know about that. And we get that weird face. Because that doesn't sound right to me. That's part of what we're trying to do to protect people. 
Because the church can't go wandering around, the leadership can't go wandering around with every one of us in every aspect of our lives and the things we watch and the things we hear and the things people say to us. And so we pour in the word of God into people's lives. Paul is encouraging these elders, make sure you protect the people. The people they need to be protected from are fierce wolves. Fierce wolves. Wolves. It's been said that the only difference between a sheep and a wolf in sheep's clothing is their diet. Because sheep eat grass. Wolves, on the other hand, eat sheep. And a sure telltale sign of a spiritual wolf in the church is the mass of sheep carcasses in their wake. Shepherds, I'm pointing myself, I hope you would agree, shepherds serve the sheep. Wolves devour them. And so whether we're talking about the guy on TV that is instructing you to sow your seed of faith, or we're talking about the local pastor or ministry leader that you're serving with, if your continual sense is that you exist to serve them instead of them existing to serve you, well, that should serve as a warning to you. And that should just sort of pull you back, you know, with the skeptical look. If that person uses people until those people have nothing left to give, and then he or she discards them to find someone else that they can exploit, that should serve as a warning to you. Paul tells these leaders that they need to be on their guard from those that come in from without. He also, and this might even be harder and more troubling, he also cautions them to be on their guard from those that will rise up from within. I know some of you are peeking around. You're thinking, uh-huh, yeah. He says, from among your own selves <coughs> will arise men speaking twisted things, teaching twisted things. Now that seems to state pretty clearly that Paul is talking about from among the group of people that he has just called to come, from among the spiritual leaders, the elders. He says, from among your own selves. It's, it's also possible, however, he's talking about from, from other people in the city of Ephesus. But either way, what he is saying there is there's going to be people that rise up that you know, that you trust, that you've lived life with, that you can't imagine that they would do such a thing, but they're going to do such a thing, he says. Speaking twisted things, and notice, uh, for the purpose of drawing people after themselves that they might have their own little congregation or that they might have people kind of adore them in a way that really only Christ is the one that should be adored. Their method was twisted teaching. And we twist teaching by when we take scripture out of context. And we have some little verse here that says something, but out of context can say something very differently. And so turn with me and take a look here. See that word there? Now let's shut our Bibles and let me tell you what that word means. And they twist the meaning. And you're like, well, he, he did open the Bible, so it must be from the Bible. One of my favorite things, there was a young man that was coming to church here. Uh, and him and his family were at church somewhere else a long way away. And the pastor shared just a verse and kind of shut the Bible, but he didn't. And he was kind of like bored anyway, so he was just reading anywhere. And when service was over, the dad said, what you think about it? And he said, well, I don't think that's what that verse is talking about. And he went back to the beginning of the passage 
and he read to his dad, and his dad thought the same thing, and he read to his dad the context which said something completely different. I don't know if that person's intention was to twist things, but how important the context of Scripture is, verse by verse, book, chapter by chapter, book by book, because then you can't twist things. I guess some people still can because they're committed to doing so. Anyway, moving on, verse 31. we got to finish here. Therefore be alert, he says, remembering for three years that I did not cease to admonish every one of you. Key words there, be alert. Be on your guard. And we don't have to be freaks. We don't have to be like, what did you say? Did you say that? Like, I'm sorry, I misspoke, all right? Um, but we have to be on our guard. We have to be alert. Because Paul says the time is coming when these fierce wolves will come in, when people will rise up amongst us. So we need to be on our guard. Verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul's leaving them. But notice, you know, this is a tough time or whatever. I'm going to miss you guys. I love you guys and all of that. But notice what Paul does. He entrusts this church and these leaders to God and to his word. And so Paul doesn't say, and so I'm leaving you guys, and so I've decided that Brother Jay is going to be the new apostle of this community. Listen to him as you would listen to me. He doesn't say that, as wonderful as Jay is. He says, I entrust you to God and to his word, and you'll be okay. And the same is true of every one of us, God and his word. Verse 33, I coveted no one's silver, no one's gold, no one's apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. You remember the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, we call that uh, a portion of that the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will do something. Uh, and, and so on and so forth. But it talks about being blessed. Oh, how happy. Filled with an inner joy is what it means. And that's pretty good. I want to be blessed. I want to have that inner joy. And so I'm going to read that passage, and I'm going to make sure that I'm all those things that that passage is calling me to be. Well, notice what it says here. Here's how you can be more blessed. As it says in the verse there, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive to serve than it is to be served. Paul was an apostle in that community, and yet he had a full-time job. And he would work you know, all day, take a break in the middle uh, to, that he might teach people, then he'd go back to work and continue working because he was about serving other people and giving to others. Verse 36, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, and being sorrowful most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied Paul to his ship. Again, Paul was a warm, pastoral man who loved his people greatly, and they loved him greatly. And I think that's what God would call every one of us, to have people in our lives like that, that we love greatly and they love us greatly. And that takes time, it takes investment, it takes serving in the lives of other people. I encourage you, make sure you're doing that. Now, Paul never did see these people again. As you read the rest of the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul went from there, eventually makes his way to Jerusalem. He gets arrested in Jerusalem. 
They send him to the city of Caesarea, which is a coastal city off of uh, Judea, uh, where he spends some time there. And from Judea, he'll eventually make his way to Rome, where the book of, end, uh, the book of Acts comes to an end. We don't learn what happens to him, but historically we know it is there in Rome that he will be executed and killed after standing trial before Caesar. And so this indeed was the last time that the Apostle Paul would see these people face to face. It was the last time that he could bear his heart before this group of elders, the last time that he could give them some parting words that would equip them for the leadership that God called them to as overseers. And so I go back to kind of how I began today. I'm sure every one of these men thought, you know what? I was going to call and tell him I wasn't available and couldn't make it but I sure am glad that I went, that I could have sat with him and heard from him. Amen? Amen. All right. Woo, that was like a fast one. We're, I'm going to close in prayer. Kyle, I know you guys worked hard on, you know, those songs or whatever, uh, but it's late. So let me pray for us. Before I pray this scripture, Jesus speaking to the church of Ephesus. How interesting. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says to them, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake and that you have not grown weary. All the things Paul told them to do. Now Jesus says this, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. And Father, we, we know that those words so easily could ap apply to each one of us as well. Maybe not today, but at some point in our walks, in our past or in our future. And we know that our tendency, you know our tendency, to abandon our first love, Jesus. We came to be followers of Jesus because he won our hearts. We saw the price that he was willing to pay that we might have our sins paid for and be in right relationship with him. And he won our hearts. And yet as time has gone on, we've got busy with tasks and serving and doing other things that we've drifted from our first love and we became more about I guess we might say Christianity than Christ and today Lord we want to be reminded afresh of that exhortation that the Apostle Paul gave to these elders that first they were to look after themselves then they would be able to look after others and so Lord draw us back to the place of our first love Remind us again of who it is that we are followers of. Restore unto us that sort of that joy of salvation and the passion of knowing him and walking in close fellowship with him. And Lord, we believe if that's the case, every one of us will come back here next week in a much better place than we were even today. And so bless your people. We pray in Jesus' name.